Welcome to the Truth Hurts Program. I'm Steve Z. Let's get right to it. Good morning, class. Today, I would like to talk to you all about consequences. Do you know what consequences are? Of course you do. When you do something wrong at home and you offend mummy or daddy, they generally will punish you, correct? That's right. And why do they punish you? It's because they love you and because they want to teach you to not commit the same crime again. It's called deterrent. If you take your little brother's toy and you hide it away from him, your little brother will be sad, right? Yes, yes, sir. Sir. Yes, 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 sir. And when your brother is sad, your parents become angry and you are punished. Sometimes it's a time out. Sometimes it's a swat on the buttocks, and sometimes it is not being allowed to go and do the fun things that you do after you get home from school. It makes you sad to be punished, right? Yes, Yes, sir. That sadness is teaching you a lesson so that you will not take your little brother's toy again. You have to realize that what you did was wrong, and that's called deterrent. Perhaps your parents could be just as mean as you were to your little brother. And steal something of yours. And hide it away to make you feel as badly as your little brother did. That's called the punishment being equal to the crime. Perhaps if your parents were intelligent enough, They would take one of your toys and hide it away from you to make you feel the same level of sadness that your baby brother felt when you took his toy. Oh, but there are some people out there who say that would not be fair. After all, inflicting pain upon you, the criminal, is cruel and unusual punishment. Mr. Jack says, if it becomes the usual punishment, it is no longer unusual. And if it makes you feel badly enough to keep you from taking your little brother's toys in the future, then it is not indeed cruel at all, is it, class? If any one of you in the class has ever worked really hard, let's say mowing lawns or babysitting to earn some extra money, and you use that money to buy something you really, really wanted, let's say a new video game or some new sneakers, wouldn't you be so excited and happy and proud that your hard work paid off and allowed you to purchase that nice new toy or that nice new pair of sneakers? Wouldn't you be sad if someone came along and stole your new sneakers or video game? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. After all, they did not work hard to earn the money to purchase those items. They simply came along and stole it from you. Ah. Would you be sad? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Of course you would. Now, If you found out that that person got caught, do you think that person should be punished? Yay! 
Well, of course you do. And if that person, after being punished, went right back out and stole something else from you, would you think that they have not learned their lesson? That their punishment did not fit their crime? Yes, yes sir. sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Do you realize that the punishment was not sufficient to change their behavior and make them not want to steal? Ew! Wouldn't you be angry and upset? And wouldn't you think that the punishment should be more harsh to make sure that that person does not ever want to steal again? Yes, yes sir. sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Of course you do. What if I told you that the person who stole your brand new video game or sneakers would barely be punished at all? Would it make you angry? Yes sir. yes, sir. Yes, sir. What if I told you that that person would not even have to return the stolen item to you? Or if they did, it was damaged and they would not be made to pay for it? <coughs> of course you would be upset. Do you think that that person should be punished more severely? Yes, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. yes, sir. Of course you do. Now what if I told you that after getting caught with your new video game or sneakers, the person who damaged the video game would not have to pay you to replace it, and that person would get to go and spend some time in a place that was even nicer than their own home? <coughs> Where they get to eat better food, in air conditioning, play in the gymnasium, watch cable television, and hang out with their friends all day. When the punishment does not fit the crime, there is no deterrent. There's no remorse, there's no regret, there's no apology, there's no incentive to not go out and commit additional crimes. When a thug living in the hood like a hood rat steals your car, your wallet, your wedding ring, your phone, and all he gets is a trip to jail equipped with air conditioning, cable television, free meals, laundry service, a gym membership, and a library not to mention free legal services and health care, why the hell do you think that person would stop committing crimes? There's no deterrent. In fact, that person can not only go out and commit the crimes virtually unpunished, then they get to go to a place that is nicer than their own homes. And they claim incarceration of certain groups of people is unfair. Those certain groups of people need to stop committing the crimes. If you were in Turkey, if you were in Afghanistan, if you were in Iran, Iraq, some of those other countries, the punishment will fit the crime. In some of those countries, if you get caught stealing as a small child, they cut off one of your fingers and you remember that pain. And they tell you the next time you steal something, we will cut off your entire hand. Now legend has it that toilet paper is a thing of the West and that in some countries like Jordan, Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan. They didn't have flush toilets with running water. You go to the well with a bucket, you gather water, you take a crap in another bucket, and then you reach in with your wiping hand, grab a handful of water to wipe your bum, and then you pretty much go wipe your hands off on a towel. Your other hand is called your eating hand. That's the hand you eat with. You don't dare eat with the same hand you just wiped your ass with. And if you get caught stealing in those countries, they cut off your eating hand. Now that is cruel, but it's not unusual because that is the usual punishment in some of those nations. And it no longer becomes cruel because you learn your lesson. That's why lefty running around out there will never steal again. Because if you only got one hand left and you get caught stealing again with that one hand, guess what? 
You will be no hands. You will be stumpy from that moment on. In those nations, the punishment truly fits the crime. Now, I'm not advocating running around and cutting off every thief in America's left hand, but the punishment for committing crimes has to be more harsh and more severe in order to deter people from committing crimes. If you can walk up with a stolen gun, stick it in someone's stomach and say, give me your wallet, give me your watch, give me your wedding ring, give me your car keys, and they make off with the car that you have been working all year making payments on, and the most that they will get if they get caught is a trip to jail where life is better than it is in their home, a jail with air conditioning, three hot meals and a nice place to sleep, a gymnasium membership, cable television, a nice library. Come on, there has to be a deterrent to the crime. Speaking of crime, let's talk about some statistics, shall we? The Federal Bureau of Investigations, your FBI, tracks crime statistics in the U.S. on a year-to-year -year basis. I want to give you some facts from the latest available tracking on crime in the USA, and it is from the year 2019, about a year and a half ago. Intertwined in the data, any intelligent, common-sense thinker such as you should be able to make some glaringly obvious observations and then use that information to determine that we do have a serious problem in this nation and that the problem is centered primarily around one particular segment of the population. Again, these are facts. These are raw numbers based on actual arrests, according to the FBI. They are facts and they are indisputable. According to the FBI's most recent statistics, the United States of America, considering its entire population, is 330 million people, give or take. There were 6,800,975 arrests in the U.S. in the year 2019. Almost 7 million arrests were made out of 330 million Americans. Of that number of arrests in the United States in 2019, 4,729,000 were white people. That's right. Of 6.8 million arrests, 4.7 million of those arrests were white people. But I thought this country was systemically racist and all the people in jail were black and all the people committing the crimes were black. Hang on, buddy. Of that total number of arrests, 4.7 million were white. In fairness, the FBI does include all Hispanics as white, so a bunch of those white people who were arrested were indeed Latino in origin. Now these are by number of total arrests, the total number of arrests. We'll talk about percentages in a few minutes. Of the 6.8 million people arrested in the United States, the so-called discriminated against racially profiled AA 13% hyphenated American black population made up 1,815,000 arrests. 165,000 Native American or Native Alaskan arrests and 107,689 Asian, Hawaiian and Pacific Islander natives. So when the Blafrican American 13% AA hyphenated minority claims that they are being arrested more than whites, you have to ask yourself a very important question. Are they? The answer is no. 4.7 million arrests out of the 6.8 million total arrests were white people. And that is quite a bit more than the 1.7 million black arrests. 
But Steve, whites make up so much larger percentage of our population, and blacks are only 13%. Let's do some math, shall we? When facts and figures don't fit the double A, hyphenated American minorities' fake narrative of systemic racism, they change the metric. They go to percentages at that point. After all, they are a minority. And as a systemically racist world of white America continues to incarcerate black people, in order to pursue the narrative, the AA crowd wants to be the victim. So they turn the percentages to hock their BS. Let's look at those percentages. In the US, given the 330 million plus population of the country, the total percentage of arrests showed that 69.4% were white and or Hispanic. 26.6% of the arrests were of AA hyphenated American 13% minorities. 2.4% were Native American or Native Alaskan, and 1.6% were Asian Pacific Islander. Now let's break these figures down. I know it's hard to do figures on radio or audio media, but we'll give it a shot. Since Asian and Pacific Islanders make up less than 5% of the population and were arrested only 1.6% of the time, we can rule out Asian and Pacific Islander natives as being a large contributor to our overall crime statistics both in terms of total number of arrests and total percentage of arrests. Go Asians! Native Americans and Native Alaskans, sadly, make up less than 2% of our total population, and they commit about 2% of the arrests, so that's a wash. White people, including Hispanics, make up about 79 to 80% of the total population, and they yet commit only 69% of the arrests. Need to catch up there, crackers. That leaves us with the double A. 13% hyphenated American minority. Again, 13% of the population identifies as black. Yet they commit 26.6% of the total crimes. That's more than double the percentage of crimes as compared to the percentage of population. They're overachievers, right? Keep in mind, you don't usually get arrested unless you are accused credibly of committing a crime, at least 99% of the time. Now, the figures I just read to you were based on total American arrests by race. When you get down to the nitty-gritty, the minutia, the fine print, you see that young Americans, the statistics make it even worse for the 13% minority. Percentage of arrests by race for people under the age of 18 tilt heavily against the double A minority, churn, a whopping one-third 33.9% of arrests in the USA of people under the age of 18 were committed by Blafrican American Ute. Did you say Ute? Yes, I did. Please don't come to me and say that America does not have a problem with one particular segment of its population. Please do not make that mistake. In fact, 55.9% of murderers identified as black. Despite being only 13% of the population, the AA 13% Blafrican American minority commits 26% of all crimes, 55.9% murders, 53% of all robberies, 33% of all aggravated assaults, 29% of all burglaries, 30% of all theft, 29% of all vehicle theft, 25% of all arsons, 31% of simple assaults, 30% of counterfeiting and forgery. 31% of fraud, 36% of embezzlement, 35% of possession of stolen property, 27% of vandalism, 42% of illegal possession of weapons, 42% of prostitution arrests, 26% of drug violation arrests, 
28% of domestic violence arrests, 30% of loitering and curfew violations, and 37% of other violent crimes. These are statistical facts, people. So before you go calling me a racist or a bigot, understand I don't make up these figures. They come from the Federal Bureau of Investigations, from the crime statistics. For every 100 people in this nation, 13% are black. For every 100 murders in this nation, 51% are committed by a black person. For every 100 murders in this nation, 51% are committed by a black person. For every 100 murders in this nation, 51 are killed by a black person. If there were true equity in America, only 13% of the killings would be done by black people. These are the facts and they are indisputable. Let's check in on Mr. Jackson in the classroom. Hello, children. Good morning, Mr. Jackson. Let's play a little game, shall we? I want you to go to the marble bin and gather up 100 marbles. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. But not just any marbles. Let's select 65 white ones, 15 brown ones, 13 black ones, 5 yellow ones, and 2 red ones. Now put them all in this large container. Let's start looking at crime in our container. <coughs> if we were being fair, if all the marbles were truly equal, then each crime we discuss would be committed proportionally to the represented color of our container of marbles. That means if someone of our marbles decided to kill someone, the chance of the murderer being committed by a white marble should be about 65%, right? Yes, yes sir. Sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And then 15% chance of it being a brown marble, 13% of a black marble, 5% yellow and 2% red. Simple math. Simple application of equity in percentages class. But in our container, when a murder is committed, over half the killers are black marbles. Every time. Over half the robberies are done by those 13 black marbles. About a third of the assaults. The burglary, the theft, the stolen property, the weapons charges, the fraud, the embezzlement, the motor vehicle theft, the prostitution, the drug violations, the domestic violence, and all the other crimes are committed by the black marbles at a much higher percentage than any of the other marbles. All of those crimes being committed by such a small percentage of our container. So which group of marbles should be punished for committing the largest percentage of crime? That's right, the black marbles. And by punishing those for committing those crimes, please tell me, class, how is that somehow systemically racist or marbleist? And when the punishment does not deter the crime, should we lessen the punishment? <coughs> Wouldn't you be very excited and happy to find out that the punishment would now have to fit the crime? Yay! Oh, wait a minute, class. Mr. Jax is being called to the principal's office. Mr. Jackson wants to talk to me about my behavior. Boo. I shall return. Yay! Hopefully. Now, all kidding aside, you're not a racist if you're pointing out reality, pointing out fact. Let me change subjects here for a moment. A Facebook-appointed panel of highly biased journalists, activists, and attorneys ruled to uphold the social network's ban of former President Donald Trump, ending any immediate return by Trump to the mainstream social media outlet, 
and renewing a debate about tech power over online freedom of speech issues. Think about it. Facebook, a highly left-biased social media organization, put a group of people that they favored together and said, we want you to keep Donald Trump off of our platform. And so they did. Facebook's so-called oversight board, which acts as a quasi-court to deliberate companies' content decisions, said that Facebook, the social network, was correct in barring Trump after he allegedly used the site to foment an insurrection in Washington in January. There was no insurrection. There was a mainly peaceful protest in which a few people broke free and decided to do their own thing. But that's okay. The panel says the ongoing risk of violence has justified Trump's suspension from the platform. The board also said that Facebook's penalty of an indefinite suspension was inappropriate and that the company should apply a defined period of time for which to ban Mr. Trump. The board gave Facebook six months to make its final decision on Trump's account status. Michael McConnell is a co-chair of the so-called oversight board, and he said on a call with reporters, our sole job is to hold this extremely powerful organization, Facebook, to be held accountable. The decision did not meet the standards. The decision adds difficulty to Mr. Trump rejoining mainstream social media, which he had used during his White House years to register his opinion, which is the same right that tens of millions of Americans have. Twitter and YouTube also cut off Trump back in January after the insurrection that he had absolutely nothing to do with at the Capitol building, claiming the risk of harm and the potential for violence that he might create was too great. So. While Mr. Trump's Facebook account remains suspended for now, it does not mean he will not be able to return to the social media network forever once the company reviews its action. I think Donald Trump saw this handwriting on the wall, and on Tuesday he unveiled a new site called From the Desk of Donald Trump to communicate with his supporters. It looks very similar to a Twitter feed, complete with posts written by Trump that can be shared on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube by you, by me, by anyone. Trump's continuing suspension from Facebook gives conservatives who have long accused social media companies of suppressing right-wing voices new fuel against those platforms. Those conservatives, including yours truly, would be correct. Mark Zuckerberg, Facebook's chief executive, testified in Congress several times throughout the past few years about whether or not the social network has shown bias against conservative political views. Zuckerberg has denied it each time. In a tweet, Republican members of the House Judiciary Committee said of the board's decision, quote, pathetic, unquote. That decision also underlined the power of tech companies in determining who gets to say what online. While Zuckerberg has said he does not wish his company to be the arbiter of truth in social discourse, Facebook has become increasingly active about the content it allows. To prevent the spread of misinformation, the company cracked down on conspiracy theory groups, claiming QAnon is one of them. They talk about election falsehoods and anti-vaxxers. Now, of course, they've blocked a former president of the United States of America. Nate Persley is a professor at Stanford University School of Law said, this case has dramatic implications for the future of speech online because public and other platforms are looking at how the oversight board will handle what is a difficult controversy that will arise again around the world. President Trump has pushed the envelope about what is permissible speech on platforms and he has set the outer limits such that if you are willing to go after him, you are allowing a large amount of incitement and hate speech and disinformation online that others are going to propagate. Facebook said in a statement that it was pleased that the board recognized its barring of Mr. Trump in January was justified. 
The company added it would consider the ruling and determine an action that is clear and proportionate. While the panelists positioned themselves as so-called independent, it was founded and completely funded by Facebook, and it has no legal authority or enforcement authority whatsoever. Critics have been skeptical of the board's autonomy, said it gives Facebook the ability to punt on difficult decisions and punt right to their own team. Trump's case is the most prominent of the Facebook oversight board, which was conceived back in 2018. The board is made up of 20 journalists, activists, and former politicians, and they review and adjudicate the company's most contested content moderation decisions. Zuckerberg has referred to it as the Facebook Supreme Court, but since Zuckerberg and Facebook pay for all of the expenses and all of the costs of running the so-called independent panel, how independent could it really possibly be? Since the board began issuing rulings back in January, it has overturned Facebook's decisions in about four out of the five cases that it has reviewed. In one case, the board asked Facebook to restore a post that used Joseph Goebbels, the Nazi propaganda chief, to make a point about the Trump presidency. Facebook had earlier removed the post because it claims it promoted dangerous individuals, but complied with the board's decision. In another case, the board ruled that Facebook had overreached its authority by taking down a French user's post that erroneously suggested the drug hydroxychloroquine could be used to cure COVID-19. Facebook restored the post but said it would keep removing false information following guidance by the World Health Organization and the American CDC. In Trump's case, Facebook asked the board to give policy recommendations on how to handle the accounts of political leaders. The company does not have to adopt any recommendations, of course, because it doesn't have to. Because Zuckerberg says, it's just a committee that I'm paying, right? For Trump, Facebook was along a place to rally his digital base and support Republicans. 32 million plus people followed Donald Trump on Facebook. That was far fewer than the 88 million followers he had on Twitter. And over the years, Trump and Zuckerberg shared a testy relationship. Trump regularly assailed the Silicon Valley executives for what he perceived to be their suppression of conservative speech. He threatened to revoke Section 230, a legal shield that protects companies like Fakebook from liabilities on what users post. Zuckerberg often criticized Trump's policies, including the handling of the pandemic and his stance on immigration. But as calls from lawmakers, civil rights leaders, and Facebook's own employees grew to rein in Mr. Trump on social media, Zuckerberg declined to act. He said speech by political leaders, even if they spread lies, was newsworthy and in the public interest. So he simply deferred to this so-called fake board to shut down Mr. Trump. When all is said and done, usually much more is said than is ever done. This guy says it better than anyone else on planet Earth, the incredible Steve Z. And don't forget, boys and girls, that everything is racist. Everything you do, everything you say, it's either racist or it's anti-gay. And that is the way of America as a new fascist nation, as a new socialist, communist form of leadership comes on down. As we start giving actual credence to leftist liberal college professors as if they really have any real world experience. Remember, those college professors have lived their entire lives either on campus or just a bicycle pedal away at some cheap housing that the university pays for. 
every aspect of their lives paid for by the university as parts of their contracts. And so, of course, they've only lived in a world that is run like a communist utopia. Only, instead of being the victims of communism, they're sitting there on the top of the heap, pushing communism. Do you like large pizzas? Real supreme pizzas? Only the whitest ingredients can make the world's whitest pizza. Introducing the White Super Supreme Pizza from Bubba John's Pizzeria. Made with pure white flour, pure white dough, pure white American cheese, and pure white Alfredo sauce. Topped with all of your favorite ingredients. This pie is sure to please. Order online and get a White Super Supreme Pizza for only 10 bucks when you use the promo code WHITEPIZZA. The whitest ingredients make the whitest pizza. Bigger pizza? You betcha. Bubba John's. Taking things just a little bit too damned far. Steve Z, telling it like it is, on the Truth Hurts program. And that's about all I have to say this morning. May the 5th, Cinco de Mayo, a holiday that isn't really a holiday, that is celebrated more in America by people looking for an excuse to go out and have a few margaritas and some cervezas than it is in Mexico, for which the holiday was supposed to be all about. Kind of funny. Americans will find any excuse to party. Just like you're partying here on the Truth Hurts program. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Truth Hurts program. Opinions expressed are protected free speech under the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. We apologize if you are offended, but we retract nothing. Background music by Jason Shaw and Audionautics. Copyright 2021, the Truth Hurts program network. All rights reserved.